Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. There Are No Girls on the Internet is a production of iHeartRadio and Unbossed Creative. I'm Bridget Todd, and this is There Are No Girls on the Internet. Okay, Mike, I want to start out our banter by asking you what I hope will become kind of a new episode series, low-level internet complaints. So what is something that has been grinding your gears? Nothing big. Not not trying to be have this be a fleshed-out thing because... I have these little complaints and I'm like, well, actually, did you know it's connected to this larger problem that we should actually really talk about? So something kind of petty. Can you give me a low level petty internet gripe that's been grinding your gears online or in tech or in culture lately? Uh, Yeah, you know, I can give you a petty little gripe. (laughs) Uh, The thing that's been just grinding my gears lately is how every time you open an app or a website or an application on your desktop computer, there's a hundred little pop-ups that are pointing out new features or directing my attention to some tool to use or giving me a helpful little tip. And often the tips are like useful, I guess, but I don't want to hear about new features. I just want to do the thing that I came here to do. Uh, Adobe Acrobat is a pretty bad offender in this category. I like Every time I open it, there's some little pop-up telling me about something that I don't care about. I just want to look at my PDF. So uh, it's gotten out of hand, and somebody's got to do something about this. It's like 2023's version of Clippy. Remember Clippy? I remember Clippy. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, I kind of miss that little guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that in 2023, the internet experience has gotten so janky. Like, there are websites where you basically can't use them because of the amount of pop-ups and things that load and then, like, an autoplay video for an ad. Like, I, I am ashamed to admit how much bad celebrity tabloid reporting I read on, like, really sketchy sites that I have no business on, you know, your daily mails of the world. And you have to be so intentional and careful where you hover your mouse, because if you accidentally click off the article in any way, you could be looking at a pop-up, like auto-playing a video that breaks the entire thing. I can't tell you how many times I've pulled up an article on my phone. So many things start to load and break that I'm just like, oh, but I guess I'll never know. I, I nope right out of that so quick. Yeah, uh, I've been there where you're like, just trying to scroll to read an article and all of a sudden as your finger is approaching the screen a video appears out of nowhere and now you've clicked the video and you're going to god knows where in your browser <laughs> yeah my my petty internet complaint is well the first one is not an internet complaint it's that i went to we went to a christmas party last night a, a work christmas party and i'm a little bit hungover so folks listening if I don't sound like I have the usual pep in my step, that might be why. Yeah, we're going to do our best, though. <laughs> I think we'll get there. I think we'll get there. Well, my other internet, actual internet, small-time complaint is why does everything have to be an app these days? Like, not everything needs to be an app. I was at McDonald's pretty recently during a car trip, and I was thinking to myself, like, wow, these prices have really gone up. I was curious later when I got to my destination, so I did a bit of Googling, and I found this Reddit thread about how the prices at McDonald's maybe seem like they have gotten higher, but that if you use their app, you could actually get really good deals with all these tips and tricks on how to combine purchases so that you could really save money. And I was thinking, why do I have to, you know, I understand that they McDonald's wants to incentivize people to download their app, but shouldn't the prices just be the prices? Like, why do I have to engage with an app just to get whatever price on my whatever I'm buying at McDonald's. I, you know, I do a lot of traveling. And sometimes when I travel, I'll use wherever I'm at, like their their version of uh, the bike share program, like DCS Capital Bike Share. Um, I probably have four different apps on my phone from countries that not only do I not live in, I'll probably not be visiting again anytime soon for their specific bike share program. It just really adds up. Not everything needs to be an app, people. Yeah. Well, and especially, you know, the idea that you have to use the app to get decent prices. It's like the 2023 version of coupon clipping, right? Like stores like Bed Bath & Beyond where the prices are really high, but you can get crazy deals with coupons. It's just like that. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to clip coupons. Yeah, I actually like this really interesting article about this woman, I think someplace in the UK, an older woman in her 70s who tried to park and she had to pay to park using like a machine, but the machine was broken. And so she was like, well... I'm not going to pay like this machine's broken. And she got a ticket because the parking authority was like, oh, well, you should have downloaded our app and paid in the app. And she was like, I don't know how to download an app. I'm in my 70s. I'm not going to download your app. I think she called it like, I will not kowtow to these bully tactics. And I'm 100% on her team. Like you should not, if, if, a, if a city service requires you to engage with an app, even if you don't want to, that is not an accessible city service. Not everything needs to be an app. I hope this woman never pays that fine. She is a hero in my eyes. Yeah, we should we should look into that, do a follow-up, because I'm with you. This woman is a hero. She's standing firm, standing up for her principles, does not want to download this app. 
Okay, so speaking of heroes, we get to break a little bit of news in this episode. We've been covering the defamation case that Georgia election workers turned American heroes, Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman, filed against Rudy Giuliani after he baselessly and repeatedly accused them of tampering with the results of the Georgia election in 2020. These lies absolutely tore their lives upside down. They had to flee for their own safety because an angry mob descended on their home to try to make a citizen's arrest. Well, the verdict is in, and Giuliani has been ordered to pay the women almost $150 million in damages. What's even wilder about this is that during the court proceedings, Giuliani's lawyers conceded that there was no proof to the lies that he spread about the women, who were just trying to do their jobs. But then, Rudy Giuliani went outside the courthouse and told the media that he stood by those lies, that the two women tampered with votes during the election. Even as in court, he and his attorneys conceded that wasn't true. Listen. Full story, and it will be definitively clear that what I said was true, and that whatever happened to them, which is it's unfortunate if other people overreact, but everything I said about them is true. Do you regret what you did to... Of course I don't regret it. I told the truth. They, they were engaged in changing votes. There's no proof of that. Oh, you're damn right there is. Stay tuned. Like the man just cannot help himself. So if you want more information about what happened in this case, we'll put the link to some of our earlier episodes about Ruby Freeman and Shay Moss in the show notes. These women are heroes. They were put through hell just for doing their jobs of trying to help folks in their community vote. They risked facing even more attacks by bravely testifying about what they experienced at the hands of Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani. And while I am very glad that they got money for what they went through, God knows they deserve it, nothing can make it right and it should not have happened in the first place. We should have a country that values the women, and let's be clear, most of them are women, statistically, who do the work at polling places and vote counting centers that make democracy function. And when those folks face attacks, it threatens democracy for all of us. Protecting democracy ought to be a value that we stick to. Speaking of sticking to their values, as we know, Twitter has told their advertisers to go F themselves as a value. Let's find out how that's working for them. Bit of a warning here because this is going to get a little bit gross. I believe that it looks like Twitter has been really scraping the bottom of the barrel for advertisers these days. And this has got to be a new low because I saw this ad for some kind of a like semen stealing company. I know that sounds weird, but it's like a home insemination kit. Basically advertising that you can collect semen and make yourself pregnant without the man's consent. So not only is that like just physically gross and like, sticky and yucky, but also it is ethically gross. The kit appears to be an actual real product, but it's not clear to me if this is like an ad campaign that is real or just designed to get people talking about it to get viral attention. I mean, we're talking about it. Some people have suggested that the ads are promoting illegal behavior, but it actually turns out that there are not laws against stealing semen, which I was surprised to find. I was like, oh, certainly this is Twitter making money by promoting illegal activity. Not so. But just because it's not illegal does not mean that it is ethical behavior, even though it's not like technically against the law. I know this sounds kind of outlandish, but listeners might remember a rumor, and I want to emphasize rumor, about a certain Canadian rapper, Drake, 
from a few years ago that he would allegedly put hot sauce in all of his used condoms after sexual encounters to prevent people that he was sleeping with from doing exactly what this ad suggests, i.e. stealing his sperm to try to get themselves pregnant. Uh, I have no idea if this is true or not. I will say that like, it does sound like an incredible amount of effort <laughs> to go through to prevent someone from rooting through the garbage and then stealing your semen to impregnate themselves. Yeah, pretty hard to imagine doing that, but the internet couldn't have just made that up. You think people would just get on the internet and lie about Drake like that? Never. No way. Okay, so back to Twitter. I do think this is just another example of how bad things have gotten on the platform. Bad in terms of user experience. Like earlier this week, all all non-Twitter links were broken. So if you clicked on any link that wasn't a Twitter link, it was like, sorry, 404 page doesn't work. But also bad in terms of user experience because who wants to see ads like this in their feed? It also has to be bad in terms of advertising revenue, which we know has been declining ever since Elon Musk took over. And I just think, presumably, it must have gotten worse since his whole telling advertisers to go F themselves moment a couple of weeks ago. You know, ads on Twitter, like nobody likes looking at ads, but they used to be ads for things that you had heard of, like real products that you're like, oh, sure, this product, that product, that brand. But lately, I think they have really gone off the wall. I saw another set of ads on Twitter for one of those really gross nudify apps that promises to let users use AI to undress anyone without their permission. I actually find myself like blocking certain obnoxious ads that just like keep popping up. I, I feel like they're like, like at least when they were from real companies, they weren't so weird and over the top. So I could be wrong, but I imagine this company behind the you know, artificially, surreptitiously inseminate yourself at home kit is probably not a particularly large company. So the fact that their ads are all over Twitter really suggests to me that they got a great deal on these ads, which makes sense because Twitter's big advertisers are still fleeing the platform. So they probably have a ton of unsold ad inventory and they're just like giving great deals to whatever sketchy, borderline, illegal, or like, you know, maybe unethical products want that space. Like right now, I've been getting so many ads on Twitter for um, clearly knockoff luxury handbags, which really takes me back to that conversation we had about TikTok, about how TikTok had to, to crack down on that, right? Like if somebody is is trying to sell you a Louis Vuitton handbag that they say is legit for like $40, it's probably a signal that like something weird, if not illegal, is going on. But I say all this to say that if you are listening and you have a product that you would like to sell and the brand alignment for that product is like Alex Jones denying that Sandy Hook ever happened and calling murdered children crisis actors and ads for stealing semen, Twitter might be the place for you. Man, that is not a product I probably want. <laughs> okay, so palate cleanser needed for that story. I have a little bit of good news for y'all. Y'all know that I believe deeply in celebrating wins when we get them, and this is actually some great news. Discord has explicitly banned misgendering and deadnaming trans people as part of an update to its hateful conduct policy. So Discord is a social media messaging platform that is really popular with gamers. Discord actually updated this internal hate speech policy back in April of 2022, but only recently went public with these changes as part of their regular review to improve transparency. So the updated hate speech policy now prohibits, quote, repeatedly using slurs to degrade and demean individuals or groups, which includes deadnaming or misgendering a transgender person. Glad outlined this change in a report. Uh, we'll link to the whole thing. Honestly, the whole thing is worth a read. It was very interesting. 
But something that they point out in this report is that transphobia, specifically things like misgendering and deadnaming, has become a really reliable way for right-wing grifters to build out their platforms online, which, you know, I always knew innately, but I never really thought about it that much or really thought about how much I have like seen that in action until reading this report. The report reads, the trope is extremely popular amongst high follower anti-LGBTQ accounts and is especially utilized to bully, mock, and harass prominent trans public figures, Admiral Rachel Levine, Dylan Mulvaney, 16-year-old Zaya Wade, to name a few. This strategy of targeting well-known people serves to escalate visibility and engagement on posts, while it also functions as a vehicle to express general hatred of trans and non-binary people and the community as a whole. They also make this other really interesting point, which I had never really thought about in these terms before, and that is the way that deadnaming and misgendering famous people, especially as a way to get clicks and engagement through celebrity name dropping, is this like tried and true engagement tactic. Which again, I just like never really thought about that before because, you know, your Ben Shapiro's and your Jordan Peterson's of the world, like these are people who certainly don't want to think of themselves as like making celebrity content, right? Like they would probably object to that, to that characterization of themselves. However, you do get attention and traction and engagement when you mention a celebrity because people like reading about celebrities. And so they're basically using celebrity like using demeaning trans celebrities as a way to capitalize on the attention that comes with talking about celebrity, but in a way that kind of lets them be like, well, because these people are like genuinely obsessed with celebrities. Like I, it's, it's like a, it's like a weird kind of anti-fandom where, where essentially, you know, the same thing that drives a, a young person to make an obsessive Tumblr account dedicated to Taylor Swift and Taylor Swift fandom it's like not totally dissimilar just in the other direction. Like these people are genuinely obsessed with celebrities and what's going on with them. What a gross way to get attention and build a platform by like targeting trans people. Like give them, give them a break. And I really hate that it's effective. And these people clearly know it's effective. That's why they continue to do it. So to put this change that Discord has made in context right now of the six major social media platforms, TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Threads, right now, only TikTok expressly prohibits targeted misgendering and deadnaming in its hate and harassment policy. Uh, full disclosure, that was a policy that I personally worked with GLAAD to help develop. Twitter actually used to be on the list of places that expressly prohibited dead naming and misgendering. Uh, however, it was like one of the very, one of the first, if not the first policy that Elon rolled back once he took over Twitter. So now, of course, dead naming and transphobia runs rampant. Yeah, like, it's just so messed up. Dead naming as a value, right? Like, he's like positively asserting his right to dead name. It's so hateful. Yeah, I mean, I will never stop railing about this but that 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 as a value as a core value is what motivated elon musk to purchase twitter in the first place and so you know transphobia and hostility to trans peoples continues to really shape the way the internet works for everybody so importantly the announcement of these changes over at discord also went along with some transparency around how it will be enforced which is so important because a policy change without actual enforcement mechanisms is like just a wish. It doesn't really do anything. So critics of these kinds of policies usually make it seem like, like, oh, just getting someone's name wrong once means you're going to be banned. And that just like isn't really the case. 
And it's not the case at Discord either. So Discord outlined the consequences of violating this new hateful conduct policy by explaining their warning system. So when a user is reported for breaking the rules, they will get a direct message from Discord letting them know about that violation. Discord's actual actions in response to an infraction depend on the severity of harm, the type of user content, and that user's history of past violations. Discord says that if the violation was not particularly severe, that person may lose these features for a few hours. If it was a repeated violation or a higher severity violation, they may lose some features for a few days up to one year. And yeah, I I think that really making it clear how this will work is key to any policy on social media. Like, I think there needs to be transparency and also consistent enforcement because that's it. When, when those, when, when policies don't have transparency and consistent enforcement, not only does it undermine those policies, obviously, but it also just gives credence to people who are like, Oh, well, this is just like the PC police that don't let you say anything. You really need to have that consistency and transparency for these policies, not just to have any teeth, but also to like, help people understand that these policies are a good thing to actually allow people to have discourse online and that these kind of policies are not incongruous with, you know, fostering internet spaces to be places where people can actually meaningfully have discourse and enjoy the free speech that people, you know, love to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Transparency is great. And it also implies that they have sufficient staff who will be monitoring, you know, reports and taking action. So, you know, unlike Twitter, where they just laid off like almost the entire trust and safety team, it seems like Discord uh, is really taking it seriously, which is great to see. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, it's happening at Twitter for sure. But I do know that that is becoming a more common thing right now. Uh, You know, cuts to trust and safety teams, cuts to the teams that handle these kinds of things. Uh, And that's something I think, like, so it would be great if Discord is doing the opposite, if they're actually fostering and, like, supporting and growing out the people who do that kind of work within the company. Yeah. Yeah, and it seems smart for them, right? Like, unlike Twitter, where advertisers are fleeing, uh, Discord has so many partnerships with like big celebrities, uh, gaming celebrities, uh, often reaching young people explicitly. Uh, and, you know, I think that's been a really valuable thing for them. And so it makes sense that they would want to protect it. Absolutely. Let's take a quick break. Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It is crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where Release the Pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women, seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or your community, your health is invaluable. Let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. 
So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, check out Fearless Finance. Fearless Finance provides on-demand, comprehensive financial planning by the hour. It's a new way to get financial advice without all the headaches, high fees, and commitments that come with traditional financial advisors. Fearless Finance planners don't sell anything. No used car salesman vibe here. And that means no concerns about being sold something just for the commission that it earns a rep. Their planners meet you where you are on your financial journey. No judgment, whether you're looking to buy a house, optimize your savings, or just want to make sure your finances are okay. They can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. No question is too small. No problem is too big. Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually, and they charge by the hour. Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. And we're back. So this week, Congress was supposed to vote on a bill to reauthorize part of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, commonly referred to as FISA. Originally passed by Congress in 1978 to cover technologies like telephones and fax machines, way back when, before the internet, back when it was the internet was just like a twinkle in Al Gore's eye. So FISA is the law that gives U.S. law enforcement broad sweeping authorities to basically monitor the communication of anybody who is not a U.S. citizen. But because of how broad that law is, many U.S. citizens actually end up getting caught in it and surveilled as well, oftentimes without even really knowing it. This law has been widely criticized by civil rights groups and privacy groups. So the bill Congress was supposed to be voting on this week would have specifically reformed a part of FISA called Section 702, which allows the U.S. government to demand access to data from communications companies like internet and cell phone service providers. So it's a pretty, like, astonishing and frightening level of surveillance because it allows law enforcement to not only see who is talking to who, but also the content of their communications. It not only allows the government to target any foreign nationals communicating from outside the country, which is already pretty intense, but also the communications of whoever they might be talking to inside the country, including U.S. citizens. So it is bad news for anybody who values things like privacy. And there is already a pretty well-documented history of this being abused already. It is one of those rare instances where there is bipartisan consensus that this law is too broad and needs to be reformed. However, the bill Congress was planning to vote on this week would have taken things in another direction and expanded the surveillance aspect of FISA to include not only telecommunication companies, but also devices like Wi-Fi routers. We'll throw a link in the show notes to a really good Vice article that does a nice job going into further details for anybody who's curious. Okay, hi, this is Friday, Bridget. We recorded this on Thursday, and there's actually been some new updates on this. So in the two days since we originally recorded this, the situation has changed. 
Although the House bill that was designed to expand FISA was pulled at the last minute on Tuesday for lack of support, on Wednesday, Speaker Mike Johnson added a four-month extension of FISA into the must-pass National Defense Bill, which Congress then approved. This was a pretty controversial move that's gotten a lot of criticism from both Democrats and Republicans, many of whom understandably did not want to extend the warrantless surveillance of Americans. So it looks like, for now, FISA's Section 702 will continue to be the law of the land until April 2024. And hopefully then, Congress will finally reform this egregious violation of all of our civil liberties. So speaking of telecommunications companies and our privacy just being put in the wrong hands, this is one of the most outrageous stories I have ever read in my entire life. So quick heads up that this story does involve stalking and abuse and just like is one of the most horrific things I've ever heard. So Verizon, the cell service provider, gave a woman stalker her home address and phone records after he pretended pretty badly to be from law enforcement. He was then arrested near her home while carrying a knife. So Robert Michael Glauner and his victim met this year online, and they had an online romantic relationship. When this woman ended the relationship, he continued to try to contact her over and over and over again. Ars Technica reports that he basically tricked Verizon into releasing her home address and her phone records to him by sending an email with a fake search warrant to the email address for Verizon Security Assistance Team, which handles those kinds of legal requests. Verizon did not realize that this request was fraudulent, even though it came from a Proton Mail email address rather than like a police department or some kind of government agency email address. So this is like a basically like the same thing as a Gmail. It's an incredibly popular and common used email domain. So the, the email address was steven1966c at proton.me. And the honestly, the email also sounds like if that's not fishy enough, this was the email that he sent that w- was effective. It's super badly written and full of typos. So I'm going to read it as is. And you tell me if this would have fooled you into thinking this is actually from law enforcement. So... Here is the PDF file for search warrant. We are in need, if the this cell phone data, as soon as possible to locate and apprehend this suspect. We also need the full name of this Verizon subscriber and the new phone number that has been assigned to her. Thank you. So that email just does not sound right to me. I don't, I, I, I truly don't know how somebody at Verizon read that and was like, oh, checks out. Yeah. We are all trained uh, by a thousand scammers every day who, like, spam us in our email, spam us via text message. Uh, and, like, everything about that just screams fake, right? It's so curious that somebody at Verizon would respond to it. I wonder what they have to say for themselves. So the email also had a fake affidavit written by Detective Stephen Cooper of the Cary, North Carolina Police Department. So that's why the email address is like Stephen1966C, because everybody knows that when you work for the police, you use your first name and I guess the year you were born in your email address. Yeah, totally. Checks out. So just in case you were curious, there is no person named Stephen Cooper working at the Cary Police Department. A quick phone call to them probably would have confirmed that. If anybody working at Verizon wants wants a tip there, uh, he also forged a real judge's signature on a fake search warrant. So once he got her contact information, he started contacting her parents. And this is not even the first time he has done this kind of thing. 
He was wanted by the San Diego Sheriff's Office on a charge of stalking an ex-girlfriend. In that case, a police report documented that the victim had changed her phone number four times in the last four months, but somehow he keeps getting her number. I wonder how, like, I'm. it sounds like this was not the first time that he's done this kind of thing. Wow, yeah. So it gets a lot worse. Once he had her information, he traveled from New Mexico to North Carolina and sent her a message reading, I'm just going to turn around, stop at a big five and get me a fucking rifle and some ammunition. And if I can't have you, no one can. You want to treat me like this? Well, fuck you. So this woman was understandably terrified for her life. She calls 911. They put officers to stake out her home. So this is from the police report. Glonner stopped directly in front of her house before entering the neighbor's yard and standing in a darkened area, at which time members of the Raleigh Police Department arrested him. He was found with a folding razor blade knife on his person, two mobile phone devices. One of these phones displayed the image of the victim as the lock screen. When police searched his car, they found a glass meth pipe, eight grams of suspected methamphetamine, and two brand new bundles of rope that were still in plastic wrap. So he has been arrested. He's in jail now with a $550,000 bond. So honestly, the fact that this kind of low effort attempt to trick Verizon was successful is just genuinely baffling to me, not to mention terrifying. Like it would, it would be like making an email address that's like, stevenpolice at gmail.com and then sending that email and having it work. Like, I just, I cannot believe that it worked. Yeah, it is scary. I mean, you were just talking about FISA and all the abuse of that surveillance law. Uh, and I think a lot of it looks like this, right? <laughs> like this, or maybe not. Maybe this is rare. You hope this sort of thing is rare, but like, how many other people have done this where it was never found out about, right? Like, we don't know. Yeah, and importantly, I just want to say that I think the only reason why this guy was caught, and it sounds like this is not the first time that he has done this, the only reason why this guy was caught and probably why this woman is still alive is because he messaged her to tell her what he was planning to do. I think had he not done that, he probably would have just shown up to her house with knife and rope and God only knows what would have happened. I am so glad that she is okay. I hope she is safe now. But yeah, it, it, it's terrifying to think about. And it really makes me wonder like how often, like is you got to think that maybe Verizon is just getting these kind of subpoenas for people's phone records and just like maybe it's the kind of thing that happens so often that it is routine that they don't even think twice about just handing people's private data and information over to whoever without even being like wait is this sketchy like it makes me think that maybe this is something that is happening at such a scale that they have been trained to not even think twice about it yeah right you would hope there would be some kind of checks on it like like you said maybe they call the police department on an official listed number or, I don't know, maybe like a, a database that they can look up the supposed warrant in or or anything. But it sounds like there is just nothing. Uh, I, I really hope that like this is that we hear more about this story and like what went wrong at Verizon. Like were there protocols that weren't followed or is there truly just nothing and anybody who knows the magic email address, can just send fake uh, emails to it and get people's personal information. 
that's such a good point. Like we should be hearing from Verizon on this. This this should be a big deal. Verizon's negligence almost got a woman murdered. We should be hearing from Verizon on how it happened and what their plan is to make sure it never happens again. I'm a, I'm a, I use Verizon, right? Like I'm concerned about how this happened. And it is genuinely terrifying that Verizon could basically enable a woman's almost murder without doing the basic bare minimum of keeping our information from falling in the wrong hands. Like do better. Just we should be able to expect better. We deserve better. Do better. Yeah, I really hope we hear more about this. It is, it's scary. Okay, so let's talk about how to talk about women in tech. So Hugging Face is the name of a company that develops tools for building and using AI. It's kind of been framed as like a competitor to OpenAI, Sam Altman's company. They have a lot of women who work at Hugging Face, and they do a lot of public speaking about AI in the media, which is great. And I also think it's like important because... I think it can really change the face of who we see speaking about technology like AI with authority. Like it should look like the people who actually use technology, which is women, trans folks, queer folks, black folks, folks of color. And so those are the same people that we should get used to seeing talking about that technology with authority. It's one of the reasons why I started this very podcast. So the many women who work at Hugging Face have been doing this and it's great. However, they did notice that when they were doing public speaking about AI with the press, they sometimes would get sexist or otherwise just kind of messed up questions. So Margaret Mitchell, who is Hugging Face's chief ethics scientist and also just like a top 10 Twitter follow. I've learned so much just from like following her Twitter. So if you don't follow Margaret Mitchell, you definitely should. Being the data driven person that she is, she framed this as a research question. What are the patterns and how journalists talk to and about women in AI? She writes, we've discovered that compared to our male peers, there is a disproportionate focus from press on our ages, our motherhood, our physical appearances or behaviors, our failures, or what AI gossip we can provide rather than technical work. After the most recent double whammy in which I was described in one news outlet as flirtatious and also cagey about my age, and Sasha Luchoni was described as a mother balancing work and life we decided we put together some good practices. So Dr. Sasha Lushoni, who is an AI researcher and the climate lead at Hugging Face, was, uh, did this prof- there was this profile of her in Adweek. And the headline read, this AI ethics expert juggles motherhood and a tech career. People really had to raise hell to get them to change it. I will say, like, I don't know. I would have been, like, I think that that title is really problematic. I think that if you are being interviewed about your technical work and your technical expertise, like stuff that you are good at, stuff that you went to school for. I don't, I I don't, I do think that it's disrespectful to shoehorn in conversations about you being a parent or a mom or your age. And I don't think we would see that if if the subject was a man. Uh, However, I I do want to be careful because I think that, you know, there should be, I, I believe that there should be places and spaces where you can talk about the challenges that we that, that you have as professionals and also the fact that we are humans that have lives, right? I don't think that an article in Adweek about your technical expertise is the place to do it, but I do want there to be spaces where people can have those conversations because, you know, your professional work does intersect with your actual human life. So I actually am like very interested in that, uh, but I think it should be something that all 
adults who work and also, you know, balance personal and professional lives, as we all do, not just for women. It shouldn't just be something that's like, oh, because it's a woman researcher, let's ask about her kids. Let's ask about if she's a wife or whatever. I think that we could benefit as a society from there being spaces where we can talk about the reality of balancing our personal and professional lives. But that should be the case for everybody of every gender. And it certainly doesn't have a place where the the framing of the article is meant to focus her expertise. Like, that is incredibly sexist. Yeah, totally. I mean, you're never going to see a headline, this AI ethics expert juggles fatherhood in a tech career, right? Like, that's just not a headline you're going to see. Oh, nobody ever asks, unless it's, unless it's a piece that is about being a parent, nobody ever asks men about their kids. Nobody ever asks them, like, Whatever I read, I mean, this is such a side note, but it's a, it's like a little talk about gripes. When whenever the, there's like a male writer or person who has achieved a lot, they're always like like nobody ever asks them like, oh, who watches your kids when you're working? Like when you're traveling for work, who's watching your kids? I I but when you are a woman, that is like but like they they ask about it all the time. It is frustrating how we have like just created this association that it is only women who should be concerned about who are juggling parenthood and professional life when it is everybody who has a child. It is not just women. So the women of Hugging Face developed a guide for how journalists can get it right and be better when they are talking to and about women in AI. The guide reads, the real achievements of women on our team often get overshadowed by a focus on personal and sometimes very intrusive details that are not relevant to their work. With all the amazing press attention that we get at Hugging Face, we're bound to see some journalists rely on outdated tropes. We've seen more reporters ignoring the amazing achievements of our she's and they's, and instead focusing on stereotypes about women in tech. The guide is actually really helpful. We will throw it in the show notes. It includes tips like avoid gendered language. At the moment, we see lots of over-associating women with certain words and concepts, such as children and family. Proofread your articles to eliminate gender descriptions that may unintentionally reinforce stereotypes. Yeah. And so I do think there is a time and a place for talking about what it's like to be a working parent. But if if you're writing a piece that is about highlighting someone's technical expertise, that is not the place for that. Like, do not like it, it is it is so deeply gendered. And here's another tip from the guide. Don't rely on antiquated stereotypes about women in tech. This includes describing women as outsiders in the field, which only serves to reinforce the idea that women don't belong in tech. They give this example of a problematic sentence. Despite being a woman in a male-dominated field, Brooke Brooksy has made a name for herself in the tech industry. Here's how they would change it. Through her brilliant results on magic and LLMs, Brooke Brookie made a name for herself in the tech industry. And that that really is so key because I think that we have this misconception that people who are not cis white men are are like the rightful owners of technology and those adjacent spaces. And so this the story that we've told of like women and queer folks and trans folks trying to like break into this boys club, that is not correct. We have always been in these spaces since the very beginning. And we got to normalize the fact that if we are if our presence is not always represented that is because of intentional choices not because we were not always there and so really it's it's like a reframe of who belongs in these spaces who these spaces are for and i'm really glad that they are trying to help educate 
journalists to not unintentionally reinforce this like this attitude that is just not correct. So Mitchell explains that they're hoping that this guide actually does make the space more hospitable to women. She writes, to help lessen the tendency for press to perpetuate concepts of women that harm our ability in tech to inspire, recruit, and retain women. To help create a culture in press where technical women who speak with journalists don't have to undergo feeling alienated, demeaned, regularly misrepresented, or violated. She makes a really good point about the importance of women disagreeing in public. She writes, one thing about Hugging Face that I deeply value after my years in tech is that employees are permitted to speak to the press even in the face of clear disagreements across different employees. The approach is one of value pluralism, nurturing and respecting expertise. This has the side effect of magically producing more women to speak on different AI questions. By grounding on expertise rather than seniority or alignment to a PR comms narrative that all must share. We've magically been able to have more women be more public than is typical in tech. And I love that. I think that, I mean, I have been in situations where the organization has a party line or a stance and anybody who is speaking publicly has to abide by that party line. But what Mitchell is saying is that actually when you get a, a, a pluralism of opinions and attitudes all grounded in expertise, you can actually be having much more dynamic conversations in public. And those conversations can really spotlight women and our accomplishments and achievements much better. It just, it just, it just elevates the whole conversation and makes the space better for everyone. Yeah, that's a pretty radical approach, really. Certainly unusual in my experience. You know, I'm, I think pretty most organizations I've ever been familiar with, with the exception of universities, uh, are very much the everybody must be aligned on the you know official comms narrative. Same. I mean, I, I understand why organizations would would feel the need to do that, but I just think this indicates that there there it's not the only way to be, and actually, you can get some more interesting results when you have more people speaking up. More after a quick break. Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It is crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where Release the Pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women, seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or your community, your health is invaluable. Let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, check out Fearless Finance. Fearless Finance provides on-demand comprehensive financial planning by the hour. It's a new way to get financial advice without all the headaches, high fees, and commitments that come with traditional financial advisors. Fearless Finance planners don't sell anything. 
No used car salesman vibe here. And that means no concerns about being sold something just for the commission that it earns a rep. Their planners meet you where you are on your financial journey. No judgment. Whether you're looking to buy a house, optimize your savings, or just want to make sure your finances are okay, they can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. No question is too small. No problem is too big. Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually, and they charge by the hour. Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. Let's get right back into it. Okay, so I have a question for you, Mike. Are you starting to sort of feel yourself winding down for the year? Like, are you are you doing that thing that sometimes happens around this time of year where you start answering emails with, let's circle back on that in 2024. Let's talk about that next year. Yeah, the, the sorting of like things that will be dealt with in January is well <laughs> underway. <laughs> Oh, everything. There is like, if it hasn't been raised to me by now, it is not getting raised in 2023. You're going to save it for next year at this point. So we are not alone in that. ChatGPT might actually be doing the very same thing. Ars Technica reported that in late November, some ChatGPT users started to notice that ChatGPT4 was becoming a little bit lazier or more sluggish. ChatGPT was reportedly refusing to do some task or returning very simplified results. OpenAI, the company that makes ChatGPT, is aware and has admitted that this is an issue. But the company was not really sure why. And the answer might be what some people are calling the winter break hypothesis, which is that since the people who train AI train it by feeding it our writing, our language, our behavior, and so on, is it possible that AI has learned things like seasonal affective disorder or like an end of year holiday slowdown. That is what people are wondering. This is really funny. The day after Thanksgiving, a Reddit user wrote that they asked ChatGPT to fill out a CSV file with multiple entries. But ChatGPT was like, nah, you do it. ChatGPT gave this answer. Due to the extensive nature of the data, the full extraction of all products would be quite lengthy. However, I can provide the file with the single entry as a template, and you can fill in the rest of the data as needed. <laughs> that is so funny that, like, yeah, ChatGBT is just like, nah, you do it. I'm busy. Like, busy doing what? <laughs> busy trying to steal some Hollywood screenwriter's script so I can qualify for an Oscar nomination. <laughs> Listen, I feel for ChatGPT here because I don't want to fill out a long-ass CSV file either. So this this does sound, like, pretty absurd. And when you f- first told me about this, I was like, that has to just be, like, a joke. But then I was reading about it, and, like, all, all the experts seem to be like, yeah, it's absurd. But maybe, 
So I know it does sound absurd, but listen to this from Ars Technica. Because research has shown that large language models like GPT-4, which powers the paid version of ChatGPT, do respond to human-style encouragement, such as telling a bot to take a deep breath before doing a math problem, people have also less formally experimented with telling a large language model that it will receive a tip for doing the work. Or if an AI model gets lazy, telling the bot that you have no fingers does seem to help produce lengthier outputs. So it does seem to suggest that it is learning from human behavior that that has an impact on what it eventually outputs. That doesn't seem so, so like, it doesn't seem so wild to me to extrapolate that, like, maybe it has also learned that you can also sort of, like, take it a little bit easy at the end of the year. Yeah, I guess, man. I want to know more about that experiment where they told the model that it was going to receive a tip for doing the work. Did they ever give it a tip? Like, is it going to get mad when they <laughs> don't tip it? What then? Is this how AI, like, is, isn't this how ter- the Terminator movies start? Some, <laughs> some, bot was promised a tip and then never got that tip and then rose up to to take us over yeah extracting that tip from human blood (laughs) listen if somebody tipped me to podcast i think i'd be i think i'd produce better podcasts i'm just saying bridget people tip you to podcast all the time all of your patrons oh i guess you're right well continue to tip on (laughs) patreon.com slash tangody where i will continue to give you the output of podcast So there are like smart, learned AI folks out there who are trying to test this theory. We should be clear that right now, this is just a theory. We don't know that that AI is taking a winter holiday break. And we'll definitely let y'all know if the folks researching this come up with any concrete data one way or the other. But it'll have to be in 2024 because, yeah, it's almost the end of the year and we're not going to do all that work. Do it yourself. Why don't you look into it if you're so interested? (laughs) Yeah, round up your own tech news. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Unlike lazy ChatGPT, I actually do really enjoy breaking down the news with you all. So thanks so much for listening, and I will talk to you soon. If you're looking for ways to support the show, check out our merch store at tangodi.com slash store. Got a story about an interesting thing in tech or just want to say hi? You can reach us at hello at tangodi.com. You can also find transcripts for today's episode at tangodi.com. There Are No Girls on the Internet was created by me, Bridget Todd. It's a production of iHeartRadio and Unbossed Creative. Edited by Joey Pat. Jonathan Strickland is our executive producer. Tari Harrison is our producer and sound engineer. Michael Amato is our contributing producer. I'm your host, Bridget Todd. If you want to help us grow, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com slash RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com slash RTP. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways. 
but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. 